The internet loves the word triggered. Specifically, it kind of likes to toss it about willy-nilly. Think of the last time you saw it used on social media. Probably to label someone who was being reactive, overly emotional, or politically correct, quote-unquote, for all of those. I, I can't go a few hours on social media these days without seeing someone laughing at, ha-ha, look at this person, they're so triggered at this gif I posted, lol. But when we discuss survivors of domestic violence, being triggered means something extremely different and a lot more nuanced than I'm upset. And that's today on the DV Discussion. The colloquial internet definition of a trigger is, I am now upset at something. Typically, it means someone is upset more than they have a right to be. But in psychology, a trigger is something that sets off a memory or a flashback that transports the person back to the event of their original trauma. Once activated, the survivor might react with similar emotions they felt at the time. They might relive the entire memory, just the feelings, see the scene playing out before them, and sometimes experience panic attacks, severe anxiety, and even physical symptoms. The most common example in our culture is the grizzled war veteran who came back from Nam and who might react poorly to loud noises and imagine they're back in combat. However, anyone who has experienced a traumatic event may become triggered. And trauma can include things like war, yes, but also the death of a family member, a really bad car accident, racism, poverty, and domestic violence. And let me tell you, being triggered is really not fun. It's really no joke, guys. I was diagnosed with PTSD after I left my abuser. My therapist one day sat down and said, hey, we need to talk. Ugh, yeah. For years after, I would find myself reacting to the most ridiculous things, like a very specific facial expression on a face that kinda sorta looked like my abuser, and I would lock up like this electrical pulse was just in me. Or a certain touch in a certain way, and okay, we are heading towards a panic attack now, oh god. Some days it feels like I have a landmine in my brain. Step carefully, because if you hit it, yeah, 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 I know, it sounds kind of hyperbolic, I know. But when that landmine explodes, it can be hard for me to function. And depending on how severe the trigger is, I might be unable to function for a really long time. I remember a really bad time when I was triggered where I just curled into a ball and stayed there for hours because I wanted to be as small and hidden as possible because anything else was just way too overwhelming for me. And the thought of waking up the next day and facing what I was currently living and how embarrassing and shameful it felt and being unable to function. And oh my gosh, how can I not get up and do anything? I have a million things to do. Oh God, anxiety. Yeah, not fun. One of the best ways that I heard to kind of describe the overall feeling was imagine being in this, like a space shuttle being launched towards space and suddenly you're 
falling back to earth and everything is catching fire and you're being thrown around. You can't get your bearings. You can't focus on anything because things are exploding and sparking in your face and the world is falling around you and all you have to fix it is duct tape and string. And it's just so overwhelming that it's just even simple things like thinking straight just go out the window because all you feel is fear. Your stomach is falling and you just don't know if you're going to be able to land on your feet. So with all of that in mind, here is a situation I want you to consider. A woman comes home from work and her husband leaps out of a closet and scares her. Boo! As a joke, I guess. Her reaction is to get tearful and angry and frustrated, demanding, why did he do that? And how could he? What was he thinking? Why? What do you think of that? How do you feel about her reaction? A bit strong? Reasonable? Hysterical? Triggered? What if I told you that as a teenager, someone close to her jumped out of a closet and sexually assaulted her? And that ever since that moment, this woman has felt a pit of fear in her stomach at even seeing a shut closet in an empty room. And when her husband jumped out of that closet, it called to mind a moment of trauma that forever changed her life. Knowing her story, Knowing the why behind that reaction might make it easy to say, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. However, we rarely get to see that. When we interact with people, typically all we have to respond to is this one moment in time, typically the moment of that strong emotion. And how we respond in that moment, well, we have to be careful because it could potentially be extremely traumatizing, re-traumatizing, for that person. We live in a society where we tend to associate really strong emotions with negativity, especially if there are emotions like sadness, panicking, anger. Well, that's more so if you're a woman because men being angry is a little more typical. It's associated with masculinity. Our culture tends to label these such as overreactions or very sensitive, hysterical, emotional, crazy. And this is problematic because all these terms are kind of inherently condescending and dismissive and patronizing. And they imply the person displaying these emotions is acting in a way that's inherently wrong. But emotions are okay. They are normal. Yeah, in an ideal world, we would always 100% be in control at all times and perfectly reasonable and cool and collected in the face of chaos. However, that's not realistic. We all have times where we lose it. We have a bad day. We get reminded of past trauma, and especially in moments of stress, like cough, global pandemic, uh, quarantine. It's a kind of an extreme moment of stress all around right now. And especially if you add on top of that moments of trauma. And this kind of brings me to one of my motivations for this episode. Part of what inspired it was seeing the word triggered being used so glibly. Whether or not they realize it, when people use the word triggered just so flippantly, it sends a message to survivors experiencing real triggers that their feelings are stupid and their feelings don't matter. And that their emotions tied to their trauma is them just being oversensitive. If nothing else, using, oh, why are you so triggered at my gif? It's just condescending. It just, 
it just minimizes the whole situation. And it kind of creates this environment where survivors are not going to feel safe to reach out and seek help. Moreover, and worst of all, it mimics, again, intentionally or not, but it mimics an abuser's gaslighting and manipulation. Here's an example. Imagine an abuser who sexually abused and coerced their victim and told them that they wouldn't be believed and no one would care if they ever told as a way to control them. Well, this person may be triggered by rape jokes because of their history. So now imagine that you are this person, this survivor of sexual abuse and coercion. And imagine seeing a rape joke either on the internet or someone makes a joke in a group of friends and being offended by it. And when you ask that person to please not make that joke anymore because you're offended, the reaction from the jokester is, oh my God, you're such a triggered snowflake. It's a joke. Why are you so upset? How would that feel? And again, it's not intentional, but that sort of reaction can emphasize an abuser's voice. It is so traumatizing and damaging to survivors. That's why we really need to be conscious, especially if a person has a strong reaction to something. Hey, maybe they're signing something painful, maybe they've had a bad day, but we have to be aware of this. Otherwise, we could end up causing a lot of damage, especially if they flat out tell us, hey, this is offensive and hurtful. Yeah, listen, you know, respect them. And even if these aren't examples that you personally have experienced or can personally relate to, just imagine yourself in someone else's shoes. Because we all have bad days where we lose control and being shamed for being upset sucks. And when in the history of ever did being criticized for being upset during a bad day suddenly make that day go from bad to amazing? Never. It just makes it suck worse because now you feel bad for the fact that you were feeling bad in the first place and the whole thing is just bad, 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 bad. Oh, I also want to mention something else. In addition to everything we've talked about so far, the patronizing and minimization of emotions, we need to mention the fact that many of these terms like crazy, over-emotional, hysterical, especially hysterical, along with being, you know, super condescending and dismissive, are typically gendered female. Female emotions have long been used to oppress them. One of the first mental illnesses, hysteria, was actually contributed to a wandering uterus. Ladies, I'm so sorry to tell you, but we don't have brains, we just have a uterus. And I'm not even joking about the wandering part. Okay, so a little bit of history. The term hysteria itself comes from the Greek word hystera, which actually means uterus. And both Plato and Hippocrates thought that the womb was actually able to move up and down in a woman's body and that by doing so, it would upset her delicate constitution. There was an actual illness for this. I think it was called like the suffocation of the womb and it was believed to cause erratic and unreliable behavior in women and everything from strange emotional outbursts to, get this, suffocation. That, that last one sounds like anaphylactic shock more than a period cramp, but uh, okay, you know what? Ancient Greece, whatever. Oh, even more weird, one suggested treatment 
among others who I, that I don't want to know about actually, was to be pregnant all of the time, which would apparently keep the womb locked in place. Yeah, so I know we can laugh a bit at this because it sounds ridiculous and haha, the ancient Greek were so funny, but the kind of the takeaway from this is kind of, yeah, ladies, you want to be a woman, you want to like stay healthy, get pregnant and stay in the kitchen at all times. And this notion doesn't stay in Greece. The European witch hunt in the 17th century they related a woman's hysterical symptoms, which included everything from them being angry to them not wanting to marry to unquenchable sexual thirst, was often confused with Satanism and devil worship, and it was a reason that many of them were burned alive. Charles Dickens, yeah, the Charles Dickens, tried to have his wife and the mother of his 10, count them 10 children, imprisoned in an insane asylum while he pursued an affair. He claimed that his wife's excitability was sufficient basis for moral insanity. I mean, while he pursued an affair. Oh dear God. And then, in 1883, a French physician, Auguste Fabre, wrote, as a general rule, all women are hysterical, and every woman carries within her the seeds of hysterica. Okay, I know, we're still in 1883, but fast forward a couple of years to the suffragist moment, and then we start seeing some really nasty attacks with the same sentiment leveled against feminists. So Princeton University professor Elaine Shelter actually wrote in an essay, Hysteria, Feminism, and Gender, quote, During an era when patriarchal culture felt itself to be under attack by its rebellious daughters, one obvious defense was to label women campaigning for access to the university, the professions, and the vote as mentally disturbed. She also writes, the idea was that any emotional display beyond the fairly tight boundaries of what was acceptable could be called hysteria. I mean, even today, we still see phrases like, go back to the kitchen, to label women that, you know, we don't like or we think are acting uppity. I mean, 2017, Senator Kamala Harris was called hysterical by a Trump aide, Jason Miller. Oh, and when they asked why she was being hysterical, the guy answered, I mean, she's asking some tough questions, you know, like doing her job. And then we have our so-called president calling women like Megyn Kelly, Crazy Megan, and Hillary Clinton such a nasty women. And then we come to the god-awful intersection where racism is thrown into this awful mix. There are so many cringe-worthy characters of women of color designed to keep them repressed. So one of the many that First Nations women face, among millions others, is Savage. And this was used literally in a quote in a John Wayne movie. Oh yeah, she's savage, all right. For Black women, it's the angry Black woman. I mean, even Michelle Obama got labeled that. I mean, Michelle Obama, Queen Michelle. Also, Serena Williams and Oprah have all been branded at one point in their careers, angry Black woman. So arguably, this began with a character called Sapphire on the Amos and Andy show, this racist character that then has 
perpetuated through our daily lives, through politics and pop culture, anywhere where black women have dared to enter spaces previously reserved for white men. Now, the angry black woman is portrayed as, well, angry, shrill, rude, malicious, loud, domineering, all of these terms that are meant to tear someone down. And it serves to slander black female character, but also serve as the social control to punish black women for violating social norms and encouraging them as well to be passive, quiet, and above all else, invisible. Now, growing up, I was constrained by model minority stereotypes that told me that as a Chinese woman, I had to be quiet and submissive. My mama, God, God bless her, she wanted me to be super feminine and soft. And at the first show of any strong emotions, it'd be, whoa, 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 calm down. Stop getting so angry. You look so much prettier when you smile. You need to smile and listen and not speak. Asian women have been portrayed through our culture as silent, submissive, docile, peaceful, the opposite of the angry black woman. But again, it is a way to constrain us socially, a way to control us so that if we begin acting in ways that sort of break this norm, it's whoa, 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 what are you doing? You need to calm down because you are becoming hysterical. I can't help but think of that skit from SNL, the one that aired after the start of the Me Too movement. You guys remember that one? If you haven't, uh, Google Welcome to Hell SNL. It's this group of female comedians and an actress, Trisha Ronan, doing a bit basically designed to... Uh, uh, take down the constant barrage of sexism and harassment that they face as women and how it can dictate their lives and choices they make to navigate it. One line especially stood out to me. It's where they're mocking, you know, a man asking them, well, baby girl, why didn't you say anything? And the answer, well, we have for hundreds of years and cut to a picture of a woman being burned at the stake. Yeah, witch hunts, 1700, Satanism, all that fun stuff. My point is, the structures in our society that correlate female emotions to hysteria have been so intrinsically intertwined that it's really, really hard to separate them. One man came pretty close, he tried, and he might have heard his name, a very famous Austrian neurologist called Sigmund Freud. Yeah, Sigmund Freud. I'm name dropping a lot today. Freud wanted to unravel the mystery of hysteria and he actually kind of nailed it. He actually discovered that his patients have been victims of sexual abuse and incest and that the symptoms of hysteria had been set off by a recent event that recalled a major traumatic childhood episode. Huh, sounds familiar. In his report, he actually wrote, quote, I therefore put forward the thesis that at the bottom of every case of hysteria, there are one or more occurrences of premature sexual experience, occurrences which belong to the earliest years of childhood, but which can be reproduced through the work of psychoanalysis in spire of the intervening decade. Boom! Nailed it! Triggers! 
oh, yeah, I wish that, but it's too good to be true because that was 1886 and we're still here today because within a year, Freud walked all of that back. Yeah, he was really disturbed by all of this and how common it was. And he began thinking, but wait, there's so many of these women who have been abused. And if it's this common and found in high-ranking, respectable families, some of whom are my friends and financially support me, oh God, no. Yeah, the idea was way too much for him. So we stopped, one, listening to his female patients, and then he went a step further and concluded that they were all lying. He's actually quoted, I was at last obliged to recognize that these scenes of seduction had never taken place and that they were only fantasies which my patients had made up. The 1800s version of Bitches Be Cray. And how familiar is this sentiment? How many times have we heard about a famous male figure being accused by numerous women with the same story because the guy had the same M.O. only to hear about how these women are all lying. They just want money. They're all overreacting. It wasn't like that. They're fantasizing. I mean, come on, Freud. Even your terms, seduction and fantasies. Can you get any more victim blaming? Jeez Louise. And yeah, okay, fine. Today's climate isn't nearly as oppressive for women as it was in 1886, but we still face similar misogynistic stereotypes that link femme emotions to instability. I mean, Freud even found out the answer that strong emotions can be linked to trauma, but he lived in a culture with this horrific pervasiveness and structured misogyny, and that caused him to retract and then victim blame. Same as it has been since freaking Plato. And the issue here is the same trivialization that led Freud to recant also leads people to label anyone who disagrees with them as triggered. It leads partners to label significant others and exes as crazy. And it's a barrier for survivors to overcome when validating trauma. It was a barrier for me personally. For years, I was disgusted by myself, thinking, oh, hell no, I don't have PTSD. No, 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 no. I thought I was weak and that it was a badge of shame. But triggers aren't a light switch. They can't be controlled because we simply don't like them. Being angry with myself for reacting to a trigger was useless and re-traumatizing. And it echoed my abuser's voice. Because after living in this environment well, where for years my thoughts and feelings and emotions didn't really matter, I just adopted my abuser's voice, the same one that told me that I was irrelevant. So when I was told I had PTSD, of course, my instinct was that little internalized abuser voice shouting, no, 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 this is stupid. You are stupid. Your feelings are stupid. Feeling triggered is stupid. PTSD is stupid. Stop feeling feelings. Everything is stupid. Imagine how much easier it would have been dealing with that trauma if I didn't have to contend with all these voices, both the internalized voice of my abuser and the externalized voice of society saying, triggered is just you being upset and is stupid. By the way, hysteria was actually declassified as a mental disorder by the American Psychiatric Association in the 1950s. Woo! 
And thankfully, because now these days there is no legal basis for, I want to have an affair, so lock up my wife and mother of my children while I go party it up and while you're at it, please call the priest, call the Pope, call an exorcist, call Jesus. But we are still living at a time where shows of emotion, no matter where they're coming from, can be weaponized against the individual showing them, especially if you're a woman. Is 2020 and triggered is the new hysteria. I hope today's episode shed a bit more light on what triggered actually means. And if you're someone who in the past has used it kind of casually on the internet, I hope maybe now you'll think twice about it. Because the thing is, triggered is the 2020 way of saying someone is being hysterical. It has a long history of being condescending and dismissive. And in a day where there are so many people who are survivors, who have triggers that make it hard to function in day-to-day life, we need to take care. People always ask, how can I help? That's a really small way. When you see someone with strong emotions, instead of being quick to saying, oh, you're being sensitive, ask, where is this coming from? Because when we do that, when we create a world where survivors don't have to worry about their emotions being judged, where they can feel free to feel all their pain and all their trauma. That makes things a little bit easier. That takes away one less barrier to them finding safety. That's it for now. Thank you for listening. If you want to email in, please contact us at thedivadiscussion at gmail.com. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. At least TikTok is shut down. Still up for now. We're going to see what happens. We all have stories and they deserve to be heard. I'll see you next time. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. You can also visit their website, thehotline.org. If you identify as an abuser or a word you might be an abuser, please call the hotline as well. They'll be able to help you. Please remember, you're not alone.